Hey, this is Kenrick with Spoiler Country, and you're listening to one of my favorite shows, Baked and Awake with Steve Kaminsky. You should probably sit back, grab a drink, maybe a joint like I like to do, and take a listen because you're in for a ride. episode 43 of the Baked and Awake show. Thank you to my good buddy Kenrick for that awesome little opening. Uh, I also want to thank absolutely every one of you from the newest listener tuning in right now to my very first listener back in August of last year. I want to thank you all for uh, helping us exceed and uh, achieve over 10,000 downloads sometime in the last couple of weeks. I didn't even notice it occur. We're at over 11,000 total downloads now presently for the podcast. Uh, I couldn't be happier about that. And uh, obviously, I haven't listened to my own show 10,000 times, as many times as I might. (laughs) And I don't think a lot of my listens count anyway, because half of them are in post-production before it's published, and the other half are all on the same devices, and I'm pretty sure they're hip to me by now. So I know there's more than a few of you out there, and I'm profoundly grateful for all of you. Um, On that note, Another exciting piece of news as of today, a wacky little thing occurred this uh, over this past weekend. I got an email from an interesting like podcaster, advertiser, matching platform, AdvertiseCast, and I sold an ad, you guys. Uh, so get excited, get hyped. You're going to hear an ad at the end of this podcast. Just a short promotional and informational about a product uh, who reached out to me through that platform and uh, it's another super exciting just evolution of the show uh, fear not the show's never going to turn into a giant promotion fest for mattresses and meals in a box and hundred other weird services that none of us knew we needed before we were told about them by our favorite podcast host but uh We're testing the waters. We're looking for good matches. We're looking for great potential sponsors for the show because uh, slowly in time, as we sell perhaps a promotion spot package that someone asks for to have read, you know, each week or each time the podcast comes out and they sign on for a few months worth of that sort of thing that's that's a that's a show sponsor at that point those folks are helping you know defray the costs of doing this and uh the time that we put in as podcasters on our shows uh is not insignificant um if you're you know putting some effort into your content which we try to do here so 
we, the royal we, as always. Anyway, we're going to dabble with some of that. We're going to see how that goes. We're going to try to keep on raising the level of, you know, quality for everybody, for you listeners tuning in, to the point that you welcome that short occasional ad. You don't mind. You chuckle along with me and listen to me get through my pitches and we get back to, to work together and jump back into the story and, and you know that you know maybe that person helped me put a little food on the table that company that service whoever it might be um, and uh, that can be a wonderful thing that can really help me sleep at night and help me get up and look forward to creating more great content for all of you um, yeah so super excited about that uh even more news. Uh, I don't think I'm speaking totally out of school about this yet because we've been talking quite a bit um, over the last couple of weeks. I was recently reached out to by some fellow podcasters who are uh, who have formed a podcast network, and uh, they have members on the east coast of the United States and all the way in the UK. I believe we have people out here on the left coast in California. Um, Aside from what it looks like is going to be yours truly and the Baked and Awake show. Uh, I'm excited to say that uh, pretty soon here in a matter of days we'll hear uh, begin to hear some little announcements from uh, members of the Damaged Goods Network a newer podcast network that has a great future ahead of it and that I'm very excited to have been asked to bring Baked and Wake into the fold to become involved with. Uh, The Damaged Goods Network is named for their, I guess we call it their flagship show, Damaged Goods Podcast, uh, which I was recently a guest on. Stoked about that. Had a great time hanging out with THC, Sith Lord and Fireball Jesus. Uh, we fucked around and got silly for a good hour or more. Um, just getting to know the guys, saying hi to everybody. I've been listening to their show for a few months now. Um, they're a lot of fun. They're really funny. They're you know it's uh, pretty, pretty in, you know politically incorrect, uh, you know dude oriented comedy. Let's face it. Uh, you know kind of just social commentary. They're fucking with each other. They're fucking with the headlines and current events and what's going on. They bring through a lot of guests. Uh, they do a great job with that. And um, that's it's it's different every single time. Uh, the recent roast of THC was absolutely savage and uh, really quite good. I think it was really heartfelt uh, by everybody who participated in that. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, in addition to uh, Damaged Goods, who I hope a few of you will go and check out, we have the Daddy Issues podcast, which is a uh, uh, two-lady co-hosted podcast. Uh, Shade and Lily Bongwater, they're very 420-friendly, these ladies. And they talk all sorts of female sexuality and relationship stuff. And I, they get into a lot of stuff that is really, well, let's just say, not unlike Damaged Goods, NSFW. All right, figure that out right now. Um, but really great you know adult and like worthwhile conversation about stuff that matters that you know and in my case being a man I don't deal with some of the same 
specifics that they get into on their show, but I live with a woman. I have a woman right by my side every day, and does it hurt to hear occasionally some other ladies' perspectives and, you know, their take on the world and on things? Does it hurt to remember that, you know, in a lot of cases, the woman who I a lot of times may be, you know, actively taking for granted on some level or another, um, you know, may feel just as uh, fired up about <laughs> any given matter as the ladies might be on their show on Daddy Issues there. So um, just getting to know everybody over at that network. I, I, I know we have a couple other shows as well. There's a show called Claytime in the Basement with Clay, who's a crazy comedian, and who he basically is riffing on all sorts of crazy shit from all over the internet and news headlines and everything. And I want to say he pushes a lot of his content, most of his content, out on YouTube. I just have listened to Clay's audio so far, and he is really funny. Um, I need to get on and, uh, you know, see if I can catch some of his video content, because I understand that's where the real laughs come in. Uh, and then new shows as well, shows in production. So uh, a lot of cool stuff to come from the Damaged Goods Network, and uh, I've had a couple of really great productive conversations with those folks that are very exciting, and they're very clear on, you know, how they want to work together with everybody within the network to build everyone's listenerships up. And uh, it really does seem like uh, the folks steering the ship over there have their heads screwed on straight on a lot of levels, including that balance between, you know, promotion and sponsors and ad space and like remembering to keep the content value in the forefront of our priorities at all times. So, um, really looking forward to working with all those folks i hope a couple of them hear this uh little mention that we're doing now because i couldn't be more excited about this i mean it's it's could be really big and uh game changing for the baked and awake podcast so yeah stoked 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 it's good stuff for a monday it's hot up here you guys it's like fucking springtime verging on summer now all right summer vacation for nicole and the kids is coming up soon it's hot up here in this room. I've been procrastinating and kibitzing all day long trying to get my act together and get this show on the road. Uh, reading a couple different articles. We're going to get into what we're getting into here in just a second. I got a great strain of the week this week for you. I'm excited about that. Uh, so, what we're going to do here is we're going to uh, quickly pause. I'm going to let you guys get your safety supplies ready. And um, before I go, I'm going to remind you all if you haven't before and especially if you're just getting here for the first time for whatever reason if you haven't yet please 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 drop a review when you can in the itunes store honest reviews i don't care i don't need that five star just get in there and tell me what you thought good bad or indifferent we love it we appreciated it appreciate it <laughs> and uh it makes a big big difference it really does so uh we're gonna take a break we're going to come right back. We're going to jump into a backyard garden update. Have you ever thought that the government may be keeping secrets from us? Perhaps may even be in cahoots with secret, dark occulted groups that are bent on domination of the human race. Hi, I'm Bones. And I'm Tubbs. And together we're the Bones, the Bones and Tubbs, Tubbs Podcast. Podcast. 
a weekly podcast dedicated to helping uncover the hidden truth of the deep state and the dark occult. We also like to help shine light on those warriors of truth that have dedicated their life's work to enlightening and bettering humanity. Join us every Thursday as we travel down a different rabbit hole and try to discover the dirty secrets that they don't want you to know about. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Beyond Pod, and many other podcatchers. And don't forget to like and follow Bones and Tubs on Facebook and Instagram. Or check out our website, www.bonesandtubs.com. The truth is out there for all of us to discover. And we plan on doing it. One one episode episode at at a time. time. Alright everybody. I'm back. With a fresh bowl. can-do attitude. <laughs> Let me grab this thingamajig right here and uh, see if we can't get safe together while we jump into a little backyard garden update. Uh, been spending a lot of time out in the garden lately, uh, just, you know, transitioning plants from where they've been laying low in the little baby starter house that we have going out there, um, sort of the incognito garden, um, and uh, transitioning them uh, bit by bit out of that house and into deploying them into different garden beds in the yard. We're doing a combination this year of container gardening down on our concrete patio uh, in two larger modest sized raised beds that are like waist height and on legs uh, and I've got wheels on one end of each of those so I can sort of wheelbarrow move them around and a number of smaller containers um, all the usual suspects in there some of which I've listed for you before um, several different varieties of heirloom tomatoes several several different uh, varieties of basil um, got cilantro we're a cilantro eating family we don't we like that stuff Nicole and I do anyway I don't know about the kids (laughs) Um, beets some onions some several pepper plants this year I'm excited about the peppers and hopefully they do well Uh, we're gonna try broccoli again this year and we have some cabbage plants Um, we have in the past gotten decent heads of cabbage it's been a while since we've been successful with it we've lost some of them to pests in the past um, and, uh, let's see, what else have we got going? Oh, corn, lots of corn, more than we've tried in the past. Um, we have like 12 or 18 corn plants and really, so with corn, I understand, um, we need to have more of it and you need to not plant it like all in one single row. You need to plant it in sort of block planting. So cornfields are cornfields for a reason. And, uh, when you, you know, surround them with one another they have a much better opportunity to cross-pollinate one another and you're going to get more uh, actual ears of corn when they're planted that way so in the past we've made the terrible mistake of doing like one long row of corn (laughs) uh, or two and uh, so I think you know what happens is the wind blows through them and it just blows all the pollen you know one direction and doesn't have any corn to land on so uh, that's kind of what happens there. So, uh, you know, you're just kind of, you know, agog at the end of the season. You've freaking 
you know, planted these guys and watered them and, you know, fertilized them and grew them up to six feet tall or taller and they show every indication of growing ears, but uh, what you get are atrophied or what you get are, uh, you know, uh, empty uh, husks, you know, like the pods that grow that look like it's going to have an ear inside of it, but they never develop fully. So uh, we're hoping we can do better with them this year. We really are. So, um... Biggest challenge at this time of year, now it's only May here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, it's already very hot in that greenhouse during the day. So again, I've mentioned this already, this has been a pest issue. And that's the biggest part of um, the garden update today is, uh, you know, just bringing everybody up to speed on. I, I mentioned and alluded to the fact that um, we had some pests in, in my Lake of Fire plant, which is my medical cannabis strain plant. Um, got two of those in, in there as well in that starter house those have since been recently moved to the yard to just take the daytime sun and fresh air uh, and they're now overnighting outside because we're staying above 50 degrees routinely pretty much every night now um, if it dips down to 50 that's about where it hits bottom right now so um, and that's you know you don't want your cannabis plants getting too too much colder than that if you're expecting them to grow and flourish but um, ever since I put them in the yard I see tons of new growth on those plants. The pest that we're dealing with uh, fortunately isn't, um, you know, uh, thrips, and fortunately it's not um, spider mites. What we do, however, have is, it's up in the air right now, everybody. Uh, I've got one trusted expert who swears they're root aphids, and I have another equally trusted expert who says they're absolutely definitely fungus gnats. So they've both had eyes on the plant. Uh, and on the pests, um, root aphids would be a lot more serious than fungus gnats, um, and they are very, very close in appearance, at least superficially. Um, and they also have a great many different varieties, depending on what region you're in, of the country you're in. So the appearance of your local fungus gnats and the appearance of your local root aphids that afflict your particular plants may very well be different than mine. Uh, in an attempt to provide everybody with better content and an example for this I did obtain a USB microscope uh, LED lit one not that long ago from Amazon but regrettably I'm having trouble getting my computer to recognize it and I'm working on contacting the seller who sent a weird little micro sized CD optical CD and my drive does you know my old Mac mini does have a drive an optical drive but I I'm afraid if I shove this little baby disc in there I'll never get back out of my Mac there, so um, maybe I need an adapter tray to drop it in or something like that, some old analog weird shit like that that I don't have presently. Um, but trying to find a download for drivers for that camera, I thought like a photo booth or another native program would recognize it and pick it up and just recognize it as a webcam. No such luck. Um, because, you know, I'm talking about these pests and I'd like to show you what I'm actually looking at, um, you know, under some magnification where you could actually get a reasonable uh, visual of them. At the end of the day, what we're doing is um, fungus gnats or root aphids, we're treating for both. Okay, These are both uh, pests that are ostensibly vulnerable to uh, you know, several of the top-line go-to pest defenses. Um, first amongst those I'm utilizing is Azimax. I've gone ahead and applied Azimax a couple times now. We're still in veg. That's an organic, uh, safe, 
product that is a, uh, a combination of neem oil and some other uh, active ingredients and very much one of those soap washes um, that is supposed to target the soft-bodied insects and in particular uh, weaken them uh, and then weaken the uh, eggs in the soil below and potentially uh, slow down or uh, like mutate the growth of the larval larval stage uh, of those uh, bugs that it targets. And I believe the Azimax is mostly what we're using to target the root aphids. Um, combination with Azimax, I'm using another organic uh, product that I haven't applied in uh, over a week now, um, but I initially did this as sort of a uh, scorched earth policy. I hit them uh, all with root cleaner, um, and that's another you know brand name product, root clean. Uh, that uh, is also uh, soapy in its uh, sort of consistency and um, is something that uh, would uh, largely uh, kill almost everything that's in the soil, including your beneficials. So what I did there was I used that first, nuked everything. Still didn't kill all these bad guys, you guys. It did not, okay? And it's not going to instantly. They're way too strong. Um, but it does get them you know, turned around the bend from happy to not as happy and from proliferating to not proliferating as quickly. And uh, so after I uh, hit them with root clean initially a couple of weeks ago, uh, I moved on, uh, stopped uh, using the root clean, used that for the first 24 hours on everything and just soaked, soaked, soaked through. Then I switched to drying them out and the foliar application of the Azimax in the evenings at the end of the night. Um, that definitely damped them down a little further. From there, now it's still been over a week now, going on 10 days since I've sprayed with Azimax because we switched it up further and now went to an even lighter touch approach, which is beneficial nematodes, who after having flushed with you know plain clear water and nothing but a little bit of organic amendment, um, you know, nutrition for the last few days, uh, I went ahead and added some beneficial nematodes in little pouches that you wet and, you know, water, put them right on top of the soil, water right over them. The nematodes are microbes, you know, tiny uh, little, you know, single-celled type uh, creatures that, uh, you know, deploy into the soil. They live down in the rhizosphere, down by the roots of the plants, and they themselves actually target the uh, young, uh, I believe, the eggs and the larvae both of the uh, root aphids or fungus gnats. Uh, so that's a beneficial that we've applied. In addition to that, we've changed our watering method to watering from the bottom for all plants. So I've actually moved the cannabis plants, which are in fabric pots, out to a, a large tray that they sit in um, that has a little raised bottom with a bunch of grooves in the bottom of it. It's kind of adapted from a hydro system. And um, I water them from the bottom, just you know, pour a couple, three gallons into the bottom of both of those. And they suck that up from the bottom now. So now the top, other than a few ounces of water that I'll pour over the nematode packet as I, you know, and, and even that I'm slowed down on because they've been getting watered for over a week now. So most of those guys have been, you know, born and deployed into the soil. They, they've moved out of their packet and moved into their real environment, the soil below. Um, and uh, so what we have done now is we're now we're drying out the top. We're continuing to apply and have been continuous applying diatomaceous earth powder with a spray applicator, a little uh, like a little 
uh, small squeeze bottle that I shoot the diatomaceous earth powder over the surface of the topsoil again to target those soft-bodied younger uh, insects that are being born. Um, being out in the fresh air, their numbers are going down under the onslaught of these several different influences. Their numbers do appear to be going down. They do appear to be much less uh, vigorous than they were a few weeks ago. I've, I've got yellow sticky traps hanging up as a visual indicator to let me know how many I'm still catching and how many are still on the plants. I mean, it is, as you can tell, it's a lot of effort and a lot of stress sort of dealing with them and uh, managing them and checking on them, you know, a couple, three times a day just to look at the little fuckers and say, aren't you all dead yet? Uh, so we're dealing with it, though. We're dealing with it. Um, one of the last lines of defense that I've also applied on uh, on a top dress of the soil uh, sort of status is something called neem seed meal. And it is a, um, well, it's a byproduct of the neem oil processing uh, process. <laughs> and uh, it is definitely supposed to be a deterrent to uh, both insects, in particular fungus gnats. Um, they, it's a, like a little bit less concentrated than uh, neem oil that might be applied all the time, but by sprinkling it liberally over the top of your soil, you've got a mild soil amendment. It has some, uh, you know, amendment value. Um, it's like a, a 661 or something like that, or 512. Yeah, the NPK is like 512 on that, so it's not too, you know, wild, but it's a, it's a helpful uh, flowering amendment, okay? Um, would be what it would probably be uh, fostering is good flowering in your plants um, and there's not a lot of risk of it damaging the plants in any way um, or the roots I don't think you can go too crazy on over applying it um, and it is definitely a uh, supposed to be a real deterrent to uh, the fungus gnats so um, I have applied that I obtained some of that a few days ago and have been sprinkling that on top uh, of pretty much everything in the garden uh, across the board uh, for the last few days so uh, you know check in with me again in a, in a couple more weeks I think we'll know in like two more weeks if I've really got a handle on these bugs and hopefully by then I'll also have that USB microscope operational and been able to take a couple of worthwhile images for everybody to share while I still have some of these guys, I guess. I don't know if I want to win that race or lose that race. Um, but yeah. So. Um, yeah. I guess last couple of updates. I did take some cuttings from the Lake of Fire. And most of them are taking root. Um, it's a so-so sort of batch. So I'm, you know, prepared to go down to as, you know, few as, you know, one or two of those out of that batch. Uh, once I get really once they really get established, but um, I've seen roots on almost all of them and recently moved most of them up into slightly bigger pots from the baby tray that I had them in that was under a dome. So um, they're still toughing it out in the greenhouse for now. So, um, all right, that's most of it. The There is a cool thing that we did. We built a new larger greenhouse. We've been planning on it for a while, and I am very excited to tell you all more about the uh, Harbor Freight 6x8 uh, more rigid-bodied greenhouse that I built a footing for and positioned on our patio. Uh, but I think what I'm going to do is wind down this uh, part of the show for today and uh, come back around on the new greenhouse 
you know, another month down the line when, I mean, it's up, it's built, it's done for the most part. Um, I need to get some shelves in there. I need to get some ventilation uh, going in there. I need to get my uh, irrigation system and plan going in there. And we're going to use it for shoulder seasons. We're going to use it in the fall and in the spring to both extend our season later into the year and start our season off on a better foot in, in the spring. So, And it should be slightly easier to manage than the slightly smaller 6x6 that we're presently working with now that's sort of that soft-bodied tent. So, um, yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, shout out to my wife, Nicole, for uh, digging like a incredible gardener yesterday all through... Uh, two of our our two largest and like most productive useful beds in our in our like best established area that had been going to seed and getting attacked by morning glory and blackberries so um honey did a great job bringing both of those beds back from the dead um hats off to you uh i was working on the propagation side most of the day while she was literally like crawling around on her hands and knees and ripping her fingernails out pulling roots out of the ground and and turning those beds back into something worth putting veggies into garden veggies into so um great great job there hun uh follow her actually to see some uh content that we created uh about that process over the weekend at uh, on instagram at bluebird farms um yeah that's what we call the backyard garden i've mentioned it before uh the house here we sort of you know uh somebody a friend of ours sort of humorously named it bluebird when we first moved in it's a blue house the right original um and uh, way back in 08, been here 10 years now already. Can't believe that. So um, Bluebird Farms, at Bluebird Farms on Instagram is where you can see a cool little time lapse we did of some of that uh, garden bed restoration. And you can see pff, most of the family makes an appearance somewhere in that video. All right. Dudes, I've been looking at this green bowl this whole time because I get on the mic and I start talking to you and I forget to smoke weed. It's ridiculous, but we're going to fix that right now because we have a beautiful green bowl of some Primo Boss Cannabis Flubber Strain, which we procured it uh, today at Three Kings Cannabis Shop up in beautiful Skyway, Washington. And uh, I, I fairly did a backflip when I opened this bag. You guys, it smelled so good. I haven't smelled anything this good since I smelled our own Dutch treat from Smooth Sailing, which I'm, you know, currently still holding out as my present, like, in my rotation of everybody's stuff I'm buying. I'm still loving our own Dutch treat the most right now. Um, but uh, this flubber had a note that reminded me of our Dutch treat. It is so it presents so. Let me pop open. The, I I took it out of the bag, put it in a container. Oh my dear God. God, I wish they. I wish we had smell-o-vision, smell-o-podcast, whatever, um, because it's uh, the top note is extremely floral. It's got a sweet tang to it. Um, it's just, I mean, it just smells happy. You open the container and it, and you know you made a good decision. You know you're in the right place. You know you're gonna go somewhere you want to go. I have puffed a little bit of it already before, so I did say I slack off and forget to smoke weed, but I did puff a little bit of it before we started, uh, like a baby nug, and uh, and it was delicious. And, um, you know, as you can a lot of times tell on the show, 
uh, especially if I've hit it before we hit record. Like, you know, if I get a uh, sativa and I depart from my usual, you know, wheelhouse there, um, you know, I could be geeking pretty hard off of some of those sativas. Um, this is definitely, um, I don't, I, I, well, we need to read on Flubber, right? I don't know what the lineage of Flubber is, but I did find a definition and um, lineage of Flubber. So let's read it together. I found it at allbud.com. We've gone there before for a number of um, strain definitions and descriptions. It's highly rated um, here on there, you know, of the seven votes that they've got. Um, and uh, they're looking at about a 20% THC uh, on average, which my label here uh, at 20.52% is right on the mark uh, for expected. They also believe over at Allbud that Flubber's an indica. They say Flubber is a 100% pure indica strain. Indica hybrid strain. Okay, so with unknown parentage due to a high level of breeder secrecy and a general rarity of information about this bud. Nonetheless, and by the way, this is the first time I've ever tried Flubber. Flubber gets its name from the classic Robin Williams movie, Flubber, mainly for its gooey appearance. I did take a photo of this, and while it's not under magnification or anything fancy, I'll post it on Instagram for you guys, so follow me there, at Baked and Awake, if you're not already. Tons of great memes, and usually um, some content that is around the episodes, you know, the upcoming and recently published. So um, I took a picture of today's strain of the week, uh, from Primo Boss, and we'll put it up there on Instagram for you to check out. Um, it's very attractive and chunky. I mean, my eighth was two nugs, so I love that. A 3.5-gram eighth was two clean nugs. It wasn't a crumb left in the bag. It just came out in two solid, beautiful, sticky nugs, so I'm like, fuck yeah. Um, flubber buds have small, lumpy, bright green neon nugs with sparse amber hairs and a thick coating of sweet, syrupy resin. After just one hit of this bud, you won't be bouncing off the walls. Rather, you'll be utterly and hopelessly couch-locked mere minutes after smoking. Well, I'll be the judge of that. The high starts with a cerebral onset that boosts your mood and leaves you feeling utterly and completely happy beyond all reason. <laughs> this euphoric state quickly turns into a heavy stone that fills your mind and body, pulling you down into a deep sedation that permeates your entire being. Permeates your entire being, excuse me. With effects like these and a powerful 20% average THC level. Flubber's a great choice for treating conditions such as migraines or headaches, PTSD, and glaucoma. The bud has a sweet, earthy flavor with a hint of succulent herbs and delicious pine. The aroma has a surprising touch of berry that is incredibly sweet and earthy, although slightly pungent at times. Eh, all right, well... They are very descriptive, aren't they? I I always have trouble because my palate isn't, you know, I'm not a sommelier. I don't have, you know, it just depends on the on the flower, right? What presents and what comes across and how inspiring it is. Uh, and and that's not to sell this. Um, flubber short remotely as i said i was super excited about the fragrance uh top line of this and uh let's take a puff together and just see how how it actually hits me now that i'm getting reacquainted and as we continue to progress through the show
Yeah, so... The green hit is your chance, you know? That's your opportunity to ask yourself all the questions you want to ask yourself about that flower. You can't, you can't do that four hits in, okay? Um, what I tasted was a, a, a great green, sweet heaviness that filled my mouth and filled my lungs. No cough there. I took a pretty, pretty robust hit there for, you know, I, I, I pulled on it a couple few times to, you know, pull it up to cherry status. It's scorched about half the top of that bowl on that one. And uh, now having said that, I'm going to actually cough up a lung on hit number two, right? Good job, Primo Boss. Let me just say that right right now. Um, I know from the first small uh, toke that I took before recording that it, it's not going to hit me in a um, nervous, geeky, freaky way. Um, you know, I'm not going to go turn it into a fucking platypus on the mic on you guys over here. Um, you know, what does a parrot platypus sound like anyway? Is that like Perry the platypus? Was his sound at all accurate for a platypus? Anybody familiar with Perry the Platypus, let me know. Let me know how accurate or anthropomorphic of a platypus you rate Perry on a scale of 1 to 10. I guess being that he was a secret agent, he's probably pretty close to a 10. All right, disregard. All right, that might be the flubber talking. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Strain of the week. Flubber strain. Primo boss. You can definitely find it at Three King here in beautiful Skyway, Washington. And uh, probably a whole bunch of other places all around Western Washington. I'll be keeping an eye out for them. Love it. Let's take one more puff of that. Let's see if I can light my pop filter on fire. All right. I'm feeling no buyer's remorse over that one. All right, so switching from garden updates and cannabis talk to uh, something I've put here under file under social media dystopia. I have a Medium story, a piece from Medium.com uh, that I came across or that came across my inbox. Um, that I really wanted to share at least some excerpts with you guys from. Um, I'm going to paraphrase, you know, good couple chunks out of this one for you and then point you at this story in the show notes as well as one more story that I'm going to link to in the show notes. I'll mention it to you here, but I'm not going to read that story right here. Um, but this would be old business or continuing business as, as uh, is often the case. Uh, and this is like... Uh, really relevant to my last episode terms of service where i talked about the continual consent that we're being asked to give um to pervasive you know numberless super invasive 
applications, platforms, products and services that most of which are free, most of which are incredibly clever, easy to use, a lot of them are entertaining as all get out, some of them are even our favorite games and things, or social media platforms that we rely on for our very communication with friends and family and our very connection to the world and its happenings. So this story, when it came across my desk earlier this week, um, and this was just written back on April 9th, uh, the author's Nat Eliason, who appears to have a shitload of great content, a lot of stuff in this technical headspace that we spend a lot of time on here on the show. So what we have here is a uh, what they call a member feature story on Medium. Nat says, yes, you should delete Facebook. His subtitle here says, how we respond to Facebook today will inform the startups of tomorrow. So he jumps right in. You can see why I wanted to read this story, right? Okay, so this guy did do it. He deleted his Facebook. All right, and he's younger than me. He's maybe late 20s. I don't even think he's in his 30s. So he's a young dude, and he's cutting that cord. All right, we cut the cable cord, our generation, en masse, and, and are presently left, right, and center. Those These young guys aren't even ever going to have a cable bill. They won't even, you know, they're not even fucking with that. Uh, and, and this dude is consciously stepping away from it after using it for his whole young adult life. You know, probably being younger than me, Facebook has been a thing since he's been a thing online himself as a digital entity or persona. You know what I mean? We all might, you know, those of us 40-somethings and stuff, still fancy we remember, you know, a life before the internet, even though we've all been on this shit since Prodigy and CompuServe and AOL CDs back in the day and chat rooms and everything else. It's not like we haven't been here. We were we were doing this to ourselves since day one. Before they sent us targeted ads, we targeted ourselves, you know, and we put the targets on our own backs. We showed them how to do this to ourselves, but that's commentary. Steve's going to shut up. I'm going to read you his story. I deleted my Facebook a few weeks ago, but it started scaring me last March. Friend and I ran into one of his investors in a cafe in San Francisco, and the investor asked if we'd heard of a Soylent competitor, Ample. He was curious what we thought of it and of meal replacement companies in general. I hadn't heard of Ample, but I shared my concerns with Soylent. This is a link to another story that he's written about it, and why I would personally never put my money into one of those companies. My friend, for the most part, agreed. The conversation ended, and we left. I didn't think about Ample again, look it up, or talk about it online with anyone. But, less than 24 hours later, there were ads for it in my Instagram feed. Yeah. Wow. And we've I've talked about some stuff that, you know, borders on that. It's pretty bad pretty glaring example of this like stalking um 
you know, how do you accomplish that other than by tracking like all three of those people's locations continuously and simply by extrapolating that the three of them were together and based on everything else that had already been parsed metadata wise about the three of those people that there was a very high probability that that Soylent competitor, Ample, would somehow be in the zeitgeist of the three of them at least to enough of a threshold of probability that they decided to serve that ad. I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm still speculating on the nuts and bolts behind how that shit works. That's the fucking sauce that we don't know, but that's being employed on us at all times. All right, so he goes on. It was spooky to say the least. I was used to getting ads for products whose sites I'd visited and for products I'd mentioned on Facebook. But products that I'd only talked about? That was weird. Okay, so yeah, so duh, Steve. Yeah, the mics are on, on the phones, in their pockets, terms of service. We've talked about this, okay? We've given the consent. The phones are on the table at lunch or in and out of people's hands as they check their texts. And it was almost without a doubt gleaned from that contextual eavesdropping that's taking place. After a bit of digging, I discovered I wasn't alone. There were dozens of stories online about people getting freaked out by ads that seemed like they only could have come from Facebook eavesdropping on their conversations. Now, Nat clarifies here he says to be clear this probably isn't happening again this is a clickable link to a story about facebook's listening on our smartphones through our microphones it would be a massive amount of work and data processing for marginally better ad targeting like the wired article says and that's that's what he was pointing out there facebook doesn't need to listen to your conversations they can target you well enough without it so okay, so I so just a moment ago I speculated, man, they had to be listening to that shit. They gotta be. How can come on? And you know, but I think I've made the same observation or observations that border on that before. That listening or not, we're feeding the machine continuously with our every like, with our every frowny face, with our every thumbs up emoji that we leave. You know, or or uh, you know kiss-blowing emoji that we leave on somebody's uh, post in the comments, even though we didn't like the original post or the top-line post itself. Instagram and these others on mobile, they track your scrolling behavior, guys. I mean, if you're unaware of this, which I hope you're not unaware of this, what I mean by that is they're tracking... How long you look at every single thing on the screen when you scroll fast up and scroll back down fast and then click something and then scroll again really quick and look at something for 0.2 seconds and click a like on that anyway, even though you literally looked at that fucking backside fakie grind in the deep end of a pool by some fucking 60-year-old skater pro who you didn't even know wasn't already in a nursing home who still shreds harder than you and you fucking looked at that shit for about two seconds and hit like and kept on scrolling. They know it all. You're probably going to see an ad served in your Facebook uh, edges in the next few hours for some vans. <sighs> uh. 
and they won't have to have listened to any of your conversations to accomplish that ad serving. Yeah, yeah, and see, so he says here, you know, they're not, you know, it should be reassuring, right, that they're not listening um, because, you know, they don't have to. But if anything, if you take take a look at that statement that we don't have to listen to you you know we know anyway we don't even need to ask we don't even think about it we have such a accurate model of you digitally that we don't even need to listen to your conversations they know so much about you he says here that they can make you believe they're listening to your personal conversations and we do believe that i do <laughs> i have a hard time not i'm having a hard time not i don't know they have so much data about you that they can send your ads that have an uncanny relevance. They can send you ads that have an uncanny relevance to what's going on in the real world. Well, exactly. I mean, that's that's exactly... That's it. So, you know, he does a good job here of taking us, you know, out of the, like, glowing rectangle level of this cognizance of this and relating it back to us in a, you know real world sort of homily he says imagine for a moment that you had a friend with this level of knowledge about you and this is like the you know the biggest bff you ever had that you never asked for and that you may not be able to get rid of even if you want to by the way someone who knows where you go what you like what you fear what you want who you do actually hang out with how happy you are at any given moment Let's not forget these phones have biometrics on us, too. Half of you fuckers are sitting there with fitness trackers on your wrists. It's taking your pulse and blood pressure for you as, you as we sit here together. Anyway, these could be an amazing boon to your life, or they could be a nightmare. It all depends on what they do with the information, this BFF, and how well you can trust them with it. He has a lowercase t for the them, but maybe we... We're talking about the they, the them, them. He goes on. Now imagine this friend can use their information about you to make money. Say by manipulating your decisions to benefit them. And imagine they're the kind of morally bankrupt person who would take advantage of their friend in this way. What would their incentives look like? Since they can make money by manipulating your decisions, this imaginary friend, they'll try to manipulate your decisions. And since they can better manipulate your decisions by learning more about you, the more they'll want to learn, right? That's a self-feeding sort of system there. If they want the greatest success for themselves, they will necessarily have to manipulate you as much as possible and collect as much data on you as possible. He's got a five-point sort of breakdown. He says, This seems to be the situation Facebook has gotten itself into. One, they make money on ads. Two, this means they need you to click on ads. I've done it. We've all done it. Try not to, but I do occasionally. I click on stories that are actually ads, too, sometimes like a dumbass. Three. 
this means they need to know more about you to send you better ads. Four, they need you to spend more time on the site, so you click on, you guessed it, more ads. Finally, five, due to one, two, three, and four, so they are motivated to get you addicted to spending time on the platform while collecting as much information about you as possible. You know, I mentioned I was kibitzing around here earlier today and, you know, trying to do my due diligence on the show and get the show going and get the show out. And and you want to ask me if a Facebook tab wasn't open for, you know, half or more of that time all day today? And I'm on here yelling about Facebook regularly. And I don't even have the Facebook app on my phone. I deleted that months ago on iPhone. I didn't reinstall it on the Samsung when I got the Samsung. But you know what I did let them put back on my phone when I caved? And I'm I'm probably going to delete it again after this week, after this discussion and after this story. Yeah, I put Messenger back on the phone because I've been talking to so many people on Facebook lately that it's driving me nuts. Having to go in through a web browser and then get to the and then select the mobile site and then then access my messages that way in a clunky little mobile browser experience because I'm trying to avoid installing their app and consenting to their invasive terms of service. <laughs> but I did. Because the messenger terms of service are worse than the regular Facebook terms of service. This shit is on right now listening to me talk shit about it. Guaranteed. <laughs> uh, you know. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't need to. It already knows that I'm talking shit about it. Ay, ay, ay. So, anyway. Um, he's, you know... I mean, he's got a lot more here, and we can read a lot more about it. I mean, he talks about the difference between the Facebook business model and something, for example, like Netflix and how that fundamentally differs in their, um, you know, level of personal data consumption. Because, of course, Netflix still wants to know what you like and don't like so that they can, you know, suggest movies and things to you that they think you're going to like to watch, right, out of their catalog. Um but they don't make more at any given time for how many more hours you spend on Netflix each month other than like if you're a family and you actually have a sheer number of people that all are trying to watch different shit at the same time and they all want to watch Netflix content then maybe you buy a bigger subscription plan but even then at no point does Netflix kick in and transform into like a new you know pay-per-view, money-hungry kind of monster or anything, and that's not what we're seeing with Facebook right now either. We're still in the, you know, we're the product kind of phase. You know, they're serving ads to us, and that's, you know, making them one of the richest companies in the world. Um, I mean, they're building one of the most comprehensive databases of models of living people. Maybe the most comprehensive database that exists better than any intelligence agency from any single nation could ever amass and have any hope of having people willingly put in accurate information to. So, yeah. 
All right, so, you know, he, he talks about that and the difference between something like a Netflix and, and a Facebook, but you can read that in the article yourselves. Um, he also contrasts Facebook to something like Foursquare, which I didn't even know was still in business. A little surprised. Uh, you know, he's, he's still a Foursquare guy, but that's all right. Uh, I, I liked it back in the day. Um, anyway, he, he, he summarizes some of that those points um, with the problem with Facebook is that it's managed to gain such a monopoly on our digital presence that we actually worry about quitting it. Guilty. Okay, guilty. Switching from Foursquare to Yelp doesn't give anyone anxiety. Agreed. But deleting Facebook does. The fear of quitting. How did Facebook get so ingrained in our lives that people who lived without it for 30 years are suddenly concerned about losing it. Partially for the same reason people joined in the first place. Information. We want to know what's going on in the lives of our friends and acquaintances. And Facebook has become the go-to source for doing that. But in the process, Facebook has changed friendship from an active pursuit to a passive process. You could sit back and wait for some update to appear from a friend or acquaintance and then respond to it. You don't have to put in any effort to reach out and ask what's going on. You get it fed to you by the magical friend algorithms. A lot of people don't even remember when Facebook sort of changed that a few years ago. Um, you know, time the feed, I believe, used to be called the Timeline. And it was all chronological, not unlike the more recent transition for Instagram from strictly chronological posting um, and, 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 and timelines or feeds to a like weird algorithm-driven and Instagram ad-serving, friendly, like prioritized, curated way of seeing other people's posts. So... You'll routinely on Instagram, for example, see people posting about shit that seems like it happened yesterday or the day before, and it'll come up on your feed fresh-like in a refresh when you pull down on the on the top of the screen to refresh your feed, and you'll be like, motherfucker, this shit was like two days ago, what are you doing? And, and then you realize, oh my god, it's the algorithm fuckery. Um, he has an article here that he points you at where he talks about it uh, on some level in, in an article called The Switch from Search to Social. So um, definitely another one to check out. He points out, though, he's summarizing from that article there, that as we moved away from actively looking for things on the Internet, okay, back in the day when we used our shovel to dig our way through um, and, and dig to find things and search, now we have them fed to us instead right? So we became more passive informational consumers at that time. And as we move towards more passive Facebook style friendships, we lose our old abilities to stay in touch with people. And uh, I kind of, I definitely agree there that we get lazy on that front. Okay, so Yeah, we've lost our, lost our 
curiosity muscles. We've lost our ability to independently go out and even formulate the thought of where you would begin to find even general information, news and events, current events, things like that, let alone, obviously, the fact that Facebook is our Rolodex. You know, we've, we've lost the ability to replace that. I think our phones are offering to sync things like Facebook contacts and things to your address book these days, you know? I think. I know they are. So, you know, he says, you know, he says a few other points, but, you know, it's coming down to the core of the article, the, 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 the title of the story, Why Bother Deleting Facebook, right here. He gets into it. So someone observing the digital landscape a couple of years from now could see Facebook continuing its dominance and deduce that it's fine to play fast and loose with customer data in the name of growth. To optimize your product around addictiveness and sell the information on your users. Or, in a couple of years, they could see the massive consequences Facebook faced for behaving that way. They could see people choose to give their attention to products they trust and leave Facebook in droves. This is why, he says, which is why quitting Facebook matters. It sends the message that companies can't and shouldn't try to have that much power over our lives. That if other companies try in the future, they'll get punished for it. Ouch. So again, relating it back to like a real person, you know, like let's take it back a layer, replace a person with this level of connection to you, this telepathic connection to you. If this person, this imaginary friend in our social circle, deceives us or lies to us, we tell our friends. We use gossip to spread information about who is and isn't trustworthy. Partially so there are consequences for not being trustworthy. If businesses aren't subject to the same consequences for not being trustworthy. They'll have no motivation to think before they do something that could break their users' trust. If Facebook thinks they can keep focusing on addiction, ad revenue, and data collection with no consequences, they will keep on doing it. So far, all signs point to that's happening. Reflecting on how Facebook has become such a dominant force in our lives the last five to ten years, and the consequences of that dominance, I think there are a few key lessons from it that we can apply to other technologies. It says here, don't rely on a product for what, in my parentheses here, should be a natural human process. Facebook can't replace socialization and face-to-face -face communication. Soylent can't replace food. Porn can't replace sex. 
Tinder can't replace dating. It's tempting to try to technologize everything in our lives, but it won't work for the more old school processes. We should stop believing that four guys in their Harvard dorm room can really make a better social network than the one we have, IRL. I'm hearing murmurings of people talking about at least sort of socializing aloud and wishing aloud online on platforms like Instagram, the desire to meet with people more in the real world. Um, that might be why I've started a meetup group not that long ago for like-minded cannabis professionals here in the local area because I'm part of so many different Google groups and Facebook groups about the industry and follow so many personalities online on every different platform and it all amounts to a hill of beans compared to just a, the few in-person meetings I make it out to a year conferences and expos where real connections actually happen and in seconds you get all that rapport with somebody that takes months to build online sometimes if you ever get there and it can all be undone in a moment when you know you do finally meet the person in real life so much later when you've created your own image of who they were based on the pictures of theirs that you bothered to look at and click like on. Anyway. <clears throat> Next he says, be the customer, not the product. Opt for services you pay for instead of services that sell your information. Oof, that's a tough one, man. Ah, kill me. Pay to remove ads wherever possible. I have done that in a couple of cases, and it is always a breath of fresh air when I do that. Games and things, meme creating apps, little silly things like that that I use. When you're using a product for free, you're still paying for it in some way, typically through the data and attention you're giving it. So there you go. So the, the company says, hey, pay us $5.99 one time. We'll shut off all this creepy ad stalking shit of you that we do and you can use the software like it was meant to be used in the first place. Interesting. Watch out for incentives of companies and the products you use, and don't expect that they'll all be benevolent masters of your information. Finally, he says, most importantly, treat companies like people. And I like this one. Sorry, I'm hitting my little vape pen thing, Majigit. A little Aris 8 vape straw I can take like dabs with this thing straight out of the silicone is fucking dope okay and what was that by the way that is um, ah, some golden cookies Ooh. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, looks like a hydrocarbon BHO and uh, golden cookies. Well, it's like a Girl Scout cross. Don't know what the golden side is. <coughs> Yummy. Yeah, I gave gave it the old Primo Gardens one-two punch today over at Three Kings. So, <coughs> coughing more off the oil than off the flour. All right. Our writer says here, most importantly, treat companies like people. 
If a company can't be trusted, ditch them and let them feel the consequences. If a product can get away with mistreating its users to make money, it will keep doing it until they feel the consequences. Facebook has become the abusive partner in many people's lives. They've carved out such a seemingly important role in your life that even though you want to leave, you're scared of the consequences. I think you really hit a home run with this uh, story relating it, you know, treating Facebook like the corporate person that they are, right? Corporate personhood <laughs> should include social responsibility, some sort of social contract back with us, um, which, of course, you know, they pay a lot of lip service to. But sorry, that's my commentary once again. Back to the story. But I can't stress enough how little impact quitting has on your life. I was almost entirely off of it for a year before deleting it. And in that time, I've never missed it. Have I missed an event or two? Probably. That's a small price to pay. And as for staying up to date on my friends' lives, well, I just do it the old-fashioned way. Talking to them. Which is wonderful, since we actually have something to talk about when we meet in person, instead of sitting on our phones looking at Facebook to get up to date on all our other friends' lives. He concludes, Imagine going back ten years and being told that if you signed up for Facebook, they were going to collect a disturbing amount of information on you, manipulate your emotions, store your conversations, and try to control how you communicate with people online. Would you sign up? Would you let your kids sign up? I wouldn't, and I don't think you would either. He leaves us with a link to a story that I have also read uh, called Here's How to Quit When You're Ready. And that was also written this year. Um, that story, which I will, of course, link in the show notes along with the source to this article on medium.com. That story came from digitaltrends.com, and it was posted back in March of this year and written by a writer called Kevin Parrish. The story that we just read was, Yes, You Should Delete Facebook by Nat Eliason, who I've actually reached out to um, just today online uh, via Twitter initially, and we've moved the discussion to email. And I'm hoping to at least open an email conversation with Nat about this topic and topics related to it. Um, and potentially, we'll see. I, I, I hope he checks out the show. Maybe he likes it. And if we can, we'll see if we can get him down for a visit, get him on the phone, uh, and record together. I'm not sure where he's located, so I imagine we'll be working with, you know, I'll do a remote uh, setup of some kind to, to, you know, maybe at some point get on a call with this fella if we can. I'd love to sort of hear his firsthand recollections of that year of transition off of Facebook and how it's been even since this story came out, what his response to this story has been to, to himself. Um, and yeah, just take it from there. Um, so 
wish me luck. Hopefully that interaction goes real good, and uh, we can look forward to hearing more from Mr. Eliason here sometime soon. Maybe get to know him a little here on the pod. All right. So we'll link to that story. We'll link to the story on exactly how to delete your Facebook as well. I'm going to move that link into our doc right now for you so we don't miss it. Boom. There it is. So, yeah, we're just going to wrap it up here. I'm going to let you guys know about a couple things I'm looking forward to uh, coming up soon here on the pod in the coming weeks. Uh, And that would be... First and foremost, uh, Blake of the Noise Pollution Podcast. I know you're out there listening, buddy. And I haven't forgotten about our conversation about 5G cell phone towers, those strange and scary-looking Gwen towers. The whole chemtrails conversation. Oh, yes, the dreaded chemtrails conversation, which was touched upon once upon a time in a parallel Mandela Effect universe with my friend Mike Peacock on his podcast on the edge uh and the entirety of the conversation on chemtrails was lost to the ether in a mysterious digital mishap that occurred in mike's state-of-the-art studio that night after we successfully recorded a whole hour of audio before that so coincidence Also looking forward to a uh, upcoming episode where we return to the Landmark Forum. And uh, we're going to be looking into and investigating speaking of On the Edge with Mike Peacock. My friend Mike Peacock did a great episode just the other day on Allison Mack and the Nexium cult. Uh, Allison Mack from the uh, Superman franchise TV show Smallville from a while back there. That was very popular. Caught up in a huge scandal involving sexual trafficking of adults and from what I'm hearing at least as far as the charges are concerned potentially even underage women Uh, so there appears that Nexium had can trace its origins all the way back to EST that's the Earhart Seminars training uh, of the 70s that we talked about the history of in our landmark episodes 1 and 2 just a few months back that you can find by scrolling through our available episodes. I believe episode one of that two-part series is called Assholes, with two or three exclamation points after it. So uh, give me a little time to do some digging on Nexium. Go check out Mike Peacock's episode about Nexium and Allison Mack. Uh, I'll link you to the On the Edge podcast here in the show notes. And... Uh, following that one uh soon after that i hope to have my friend nate lopez back on as a guest former guest of the show two-time guest of the show and we want to take a closer look at the jehovah's witness religion religion with air quotes uh around that and uh if you haven't picked up on a theme yet here other than our gwen towers and chemtrails there at the top of the stack i'm getting all kind of cold culty on you here i don't know with just like the area of interest that i'm going into um next did it again (laughs) knocking stuff over here on the desk uh 
the next episode that I have on the horizon that may not be, you know, chronologically next next, but it's in my head coming up as one that we're going to be seeing soon. And that's one on businesses that are actually like pyramid schemes. Okay, and what I want to do for us is do a rundown of a lot of the bigger ones, many of which we will all have heard of, some of which you may not have realized are that type of business, okay? We've all heard of the Amways of the world. We've all heard of the uh, Cutco Knives uh, of the world, but there's a lot of others out there. There's so many others out there that rely on similar types of business models, and they're all in all sorts of different sectors of industry. Um, and they're, in my mind, uh, as I put in my note here, the, the note that I wrote for myself to share with you was pyramid schemes bad business models or cults by another name we'll get into that we'll decide together alright this has been another awesome episode thank you all for the 10,000 downloads, the 11,300 and some odd downloads and counting. Let's keep them going, everybody. Next milestone. I don't know. What, 50K? Let's go 50K. That would be great. We'll celebrate then. All right, everybody. I'm going to link you up to the T Public Shop in the show notes and go there and pick up some stickers. Have some fun with that. Have a great week. Check out the Damaged Goods Network, the Damaged Goods Show, the Daddy Issue Show, Claytime in the Basement, Coming Soon, Beta Testers, and my show, Baked and Awake. Until next time, everybody, smoke indica and do shit anyway. Hey, everyone. Before you hit play on your next episode of the show, I wanted to tell you about an app that I just downloaded called Budsy. Budsy is a cannabis tech company focused on delivering you the high you're looking for through AI. Download their free app and learn more at budsy.io. You can also check out their podcast, Token Talk, which I just subscribed to and which looks to have some compelling content about cannabis lifestyles around the world. That's budsy.io, and it's available in the iOS and Android app stores.